Hello and welcome back to Story Science with DJ Finley. I am, of course, your hostess, DJ Finley. I am here with Essie. Hello. Yes, and really quick round of applause. 1,000 subscribers Woo! at the point time of, of recording this video. Thank I, you so much. I have no idea how I won you guys, but I'm shocked. Thank you. Shocked and flattered, mm -hmm. and I'm spiking my audio. I don't care. <laughs> I will bring it down in post. Thanks, <laughs> you guys were able to upgrade to the basement. Yes, we are in the new studio. Hey. That's why we sound weird. Yeah, so sorry if it sounds really awful. No or... soundproofing yet. No. So. Sorry, we got a lot of work to do, but we have a studio now. It still has dogs in it, but we have a studio now. So let's get into what are we talking about today, Essie? Today we are talking about 2010's The Wolfman. Mm -hmm. But what we really want to focus on is writing character intros. Yes. Mainly because this is something I, I definitely struggle with. I hate intros. I, okay, I hate beginnings. I hate writing the beginning of a story. Mm -hmm. I'm a middle person. I hate beginnings. I hate endings. And my beta reader is listening to this and he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Hi. Hi. Hi, Chaos. <laughs> we know you're listening. <laughs> but there are some interesting things with The Wolfman 2010 and The Wolfman 1941 that we thought were really interesting about crafting a character introduction. Yeah, as far as I know, and I could be wrong because I'm not completely movie book literate. Mm -hmm. But this is one of the first things I've ever seen where there are two adaptations of basically the same story yes. with two vastly different characters that both of them are good. Especially nowadays where like everything feels like a remake mm -hmm. or a rehash or a reimagining or a reboot and it's like... There's not a difference between all of those. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm... I don't know yet but what I did want to point out and Essie actually pointed this out to me and I want to point out to you guys is like these two films are similar and different. Like mm -hmm. they have similar story beats and a similar story structure, but they're their own films with their own characters. Like th even the protagonist is a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Lon Chaney versus Benicio del Toro. Yeah. So these are just some things that we want to bring to your attention. So before we get into too late, I guess before we mm -hmm. get into really diving into character introductions and introductions to stories in general and similar plot points. Here are some quick summaries. Yes. You can need these. Of both films. Ideally, go and watch both films mm -hmm. um, before you, you listen to this, but in case you don't have the time or the ability or whatever. Or don't care. Or don't care enough. Whatever. <laughs> there are spoilers. There, there will be spoilers for a 20, uh, 12 and 70 year old films. Yeah. How dare you spoil these movies for me? You clicked on the video. And also, okay, if you do watch the 2010 one, make sure it's the director's cut. Yes, we are not covering the theatrical version. Yes. After the death of his older brother, Larry Talbert returns home, reuniting with his father, Sir John, and his old friend, Colonel Munford. While adjusting his father's telescope, Larry spies the pretty Gwen Conliffe. At the Conliffe Antique Shop, Larry flirts with Gwen and buys a cane with a carved silver wolf's head and marked with the sign of the pentagram. Not taking no for an answer, he tells Gwen he'll pick her up in front of the shop that night so they can have their fortunes told by some visiting gypsies. Gwen meets up with Larry and brings her friend Jenny along as a chaperone. The trio comes across a bush of wolfsbane under the autumn moon on their way to the gypsy camp. Jenny recites a rhyme about werewolves and picks several flowers. While Jenny gets her fortune told by Bela the gypsy, Larry and Gwen wander off to talk. They hear a scream and Larry runs to the rescue to find Jenny being attacked by a wolf. 
Larry wrestles with the wolf, finally beating it to death with his new silver cane. The struggle ends with Jenny dead and Larry wounded from a bite on his chest. Larry is rushed home by Gwen and a gypsy woman, Maleva. Gwen tells the others about the wolf attack. Colonel Munford and the villagers only find the bodies of Jenny and Bela the gypsy. Bela's body clearly beaten to death and a silver head cane lying next to him. Larry wakes the next morning perfectly fine. Even the wound on his chest has healed and faded. However, he's questioned by Colonel Munford because his story doesn't line up with the evidence they found in the field. Larry insists he killed a wolf and not a man, but everyone questions his judgment, thinking Larry must be confused. The townsfolk are convinced he killed Bela and blame him and Gwen for being out in the first place. Place, leaving Jenny alone and vulnerable. The rest of the gypsies arrive in town to celebrate with a fair to send Bela off. During the festivities, Larry comes across the old woman, Mileva, who says she knows he killed a wolf who was also her son, Bela. She tells him whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. She gives him a charm to protect him before spreading the word there is a werewolf in camp to the other gypsies, causing them to pick up and leave, except her. On the way out, Larry bumps into Gwen, and gives her the charm, just in case. That night, Larry transforms into a werewolf and comes across Richardson, the gravedigger, who he kills. Larry wakes the next morning to find muddy footprints leading from the windowsill, changing from paws to feet before ending at Larry's bed. Many people believe there is some kind of wild beast roaming the countryside. Larry tries to confess he's a werewolf, but Colonel Munford and Dr. Lloyd don't believe werewolves exist except in the delusions of a madman. Sir John resents any suggestion his son may be crazy. Again, the werewolf roams the night, but steps into a newly set bear trap. Larry is found by Maleva, who removes the curse for a short while, allowing Larry to remove the trap before the hunting dogs and men find him. Larry runs to Gwen's shop. He confesses he killed Bela, the gravedigger, and doesn't know who's going to be next. He tells her he's leaving town for good. Gwen insists on coming with him, showing the charm he gave her to prove she'll be safe. Larry sees the pentagram on her palm, marking her as the next victim. He flees the shop, proclaiming it's no use. Larry returns to Talbert Hall and is met by Sir John. Again, Larry appeals to his father, showing the scar on his chest. They hear the sound of Colonel Munford and the others gathering to hunt the wolf. Larry attempts to run, but his father tells him he can't. Convinced this is all some mind trick the gypsies are playing, Sir John ties Larry to a chair in his bedroom, facing the window so he can see the hunt below. Sir John is about to join the hunt, but Larry makes a final request. Dad, take the cane with you. Sir John leaves, taking the cane and locking the door behind him. Sir John breaks away from the hunting party, coming across Mileva in her cart, seeming to be waiting for him. He accuses her of messing with Larry's mind, but she counters him by asking why he's going home, maybe to check to make sure his son is still there? Gwen runs through the fog to find Larry and help him. Leva warns Gwen she can't help and to get out of harm's way. The wolfman comes upon Gwen and attacks her. Sir John runs to Gwen's aid and the wolf turns on him. In the struggle, the cane again strikes down the wolf. The wolf falls to the ground. As Maleva and Sir John look on, the body fades from a wolf to reveal Larry. Horrified, Sir John kneels beside his son's body as the rest of the hunting party arrives. Colonel Munford tells Sir John the story they will tell the villagers, that the wolf attacked Gwen and Larry fought it off, losing his life in the process. The final word before the film fades to black is spoken by Gwen, a single word, Larry. The year is 1891, and Lawrence Talbot is a celebrated but moody Shakespearean actor. His tour of Hamlet is interrupted by the appearance of Gwen Conliffe, his brother's fiancée, asking him to return home because his brother is missing. 
His homecoming finds a gloomy house occupied by his father, Sir John, and the news his brother's body was found in a ditch, mauled by a wild animal. Regretting not seeing his brother since they were both children, Lawrence attempts to drown his sorrows in the pub where he overhears Dr. Lloyd and Colonel Munford, along with others, speculating on what killed Ben Talbot. Most suspect the gypsy's dancing bear, but one is sure it's a werewolf, like the one from 25 years ago, the same night Lady Talbot committed suicide. Lawrence decides to stay at Blackmore to discover what happened to Ben. Gwen leaves after the funeral and Sir John warns Lawrence not to venture into the woods, for the moon will be full. Ignoring the warning, Lawrence goes to the gypsy's camp and is there when the beast attacks. Lawrence does his best to fend off the beast, but is jumped and bitten on the shoulder, barely surviving. Lawrence spends several days and nights in fever-filled dreams, watched over by Gwen, who returned at the news. Despite the severity of the wound, Lawrence makes a full recovery, with no scars. News of the attack brings the inspector Francis Aberline, who is convinced Lawrence is involved from his time in an asylum after his mother's suicide. Sensing all is not right, Lawrence sends Gwen away for her safety. On the next full moon, Lawrence follows Sir John to the family crypt, where he experiences his first transformation. The newly released werewolf tears across the countryside, slaughtering a hunting party attempting to catch the beast, including Colonel Munford and Dr. Lloyd. Lawrence wakes outside Talbot Hall, covered in blood, and is arrested. Returned to Lambeth Asylum, where he was admitted as a child, Lawrence is greeted by the sadistic Dr. Hohenager. Lawrence is tortured by the advanced treatments of the day, enduring this for a month. On the eve of the full moon, he is visited by Sir John. His father confesses he is the original werewolf, first killing his wife 25 years ago and releasing the beast again when Ben planned to leave after marrying Gwen. He's embraced the beast and tells Lawrence he can accept to be the beast or not. He leaves Lawrence to face the full moon alone. Lawrence is shown to an assembled group of doctors, while Dr. Hohenager boasts Lawrence will not become a werewolf, as much as he can sprout wings and fly out the window. The wolfman appears in the moonlight, throwing Dr. Hohenager out the window before fleeing into the night. Gwen finds Lawrence in her London antique shop the next day. Lawrence accepts he's a monster, but is determined to end his father's terror. Fearing for him, Gwen pleads for him to stay, sharing a kiss before he's compelled to leave by the arrival of Inspector Aberline. Lawrence walks to Blackmore to avoid the police, while Gwen searches for any chance for a cure, even hunting down the gypsy Maleva for help. Maleva reveals the only way to free Lawrence is death, asking Gwen if she's able to do what needs to be done. The night of the full moon arrives. Aberline and his forces arrive in town to find Lawrence. Gwen also arrives to find Lawrence, and Lawrence returns to Talbot Hall to face Sir John. Lawrence finds Sir John in the parlor playing the piano alongside the body of a police officer sent to watch the house. While beating his son with a silver-top cane, Sir John mocks Lawrence, telling him to accept who he is. The moonlight shines through the window and the two wolfmen appear and fight in the burning manner around them. Lawrence manages to overpower the older wolf and kill him. Gwen appears and finds herself face to face with the snarling wolfman. Aberline also arrives, gun drawn, but Gwen knocks it off the mark. The wolfman attacks, biting Aberline as Gwen flees, grabbing the gun. The wolfman follows, leaving Aberline alive with a bite in his neck. Lawrence chases Gwen to a waterfall, backing her to the edge. Gwen begs Lawrence to remember her. It seems for a moment Lawrence shows through the wolf, but even with that glimmer, Gwen knows what she has to do. Using Aberline's gun, she shoots Lawrence through the chest. Lawrence transforms back. He thanks Gwen for freeing him before dying in her arms. The two are found by the police, among them Aberline, holding the cane in his hand. Okay, welcome back. So, now that you've been caught up on what the heck is happening, all right, those are very simple 
rewrote those. <laughs> That's not the Wikipedia. No. So they're very simple explanations as to what happened. We left out a lot of details. Mm-hmm. Warning. Mm-hmm. Let's first talk about what is similar between these two films. Mm-hmm. The first similarity is, and by similarities, we're talking plot beats. Yeah. These are things that happen in both the original and in the remake. Mm-hmm. So the first part is pretty obvious. Larry goes home, or Lawrence in this case, goes home after the death of his older brother. Or Okay, so we weren't sure if Lawrence is the older brother or the younger brother. Yeah, it sounded remake. like the Long Chaney Larry is the younger sibling, because that's a whole plot point. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, I interpret it as he's the older from like cues that his dad gives later in the film, plus a lot of other interactions and stuff. So I just assumed he was probably the older one. Since there was no brought up about inheritance, like, once. Yeah. From time to time, he was there. Yeah, no so, one said, like, your brother's dead, so now you inherit. No one... Yeah, no, no one made the comment, as far as I know. But, yeah, so that like so that's one shift right there, is, is position in the family. Uh, they both go home because of sibling death. But again, we don't know for sure in yeah. the 2010 one, because it's not brought up. So, no. he goes home, and he interacts with his dad, mm-hmm. Sir John, who he hasn't seen in several years, mm-hmm. of basically being estranged from your family. Yeah. So... After that, we have next plot beat, which is the bite while visiting the gypsies. Mm-hmm. So in both films, Larry slash Lawrence goes to a gypsy camp, but for different reasons. In the original, he goes with Gwen and her friend Jenny to get their fortunes told. It's like a fun thing. It's a fun little... It's a date. It's a date. Yeah, literally. It's just a date. It's a night. It's an evening out. Young people having fun, basically. Yeah. You know, nothing technically wrong with that. In the remake, he wants... To talk about his brother. He's trying to figure out what happened. So it's yeah. kind of, he's uh, gathering evidence. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk to Maleva just to figure out what happened to Ben. And then while he's there, the wolf shows up. And we get absolutely zero information. But. Yeah. And then he gets bit by the wolf. Mm-hmm. And the different, the biggest difference to me is in the Lon Chaney one, he kills the wolf mm-hmm. that bites him. While in the Del Toro one, it is the wolf escapes mm-hmm. unharmed. In both of them, the scar disappears. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a little different because in the Lon Chaney one, it's overnight. In the Del Toro one, it's as a dog falling out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just leave that? <laughs> no! Save the doggo! Save the doggo! I'm telling you, there'll be dogs. We warn you! Okay, we saved the doggo. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Where was I? All right. In the Del Toro one, it disappears over the course of several days. So it is there. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the in the Del Toro one, there's never a question that he was bit by a, an animal. No, it's never a question. In the original, they're going like, oh, you sure? Like, yeah, we saw your clothes being bloody. That could have been from you murdering the guy. There was no question he got bit by something. And it's very funny. Like, in the remake, they're very big on, oh my gosh, we know there's a giant thing running around in the woods that's mm-hmm. a mystical creature that you probably will, will affect you negatively. In the original, it's kind of like, well, we know a dog attacked her, but we don't know why you killed Well, the, the original, guy. the one thing I like about the original that Essie and I have had our squabbles over is I love the setup for the Wolfman. Is the whole the girl was clearly mauled by an animal, but the gypsy was clearly beaten to death by a stick that was found by the murder weapon is found by the body mm-hmm. and is clearly the murder weapon. It's got imaginary blood on it, considering <laughs> they they didn't actually put it in the movie, but they say there's blood on yeah. it or something like it. They say it's clearly the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's probably supposed to be blood and tissue and brain on it, but <laughs> but. 40s. Um. But the, yeah, the 40s. <laughs> but I like that setup because it's, it's a good 
what the heck. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a good way of getting on Larry's nerves because yeah, he knows he, what he did. Yeah, he knows. Like, it explains why he's feeling so attacked because he knows what he did. It's yeah, like, and no one believes him. Everyone's like, you're probably crazy. He's like, why am I the crazy one? What's everyone questioning my sanity? Like... <laughs> I mean, he's very defensive every time he talks to somebody. Well, in the Del Toro one, I'm always a little confused because it's like, do you guys believe it's an animal or not? Well, it's like, because I think it would be like anything that... Because all the villagers are like, we got bit by the monster, so yeah, what's like... going to happen to you? And then the police inspector is like, he's not thinking of him as a monster. He's thinking of him as a serial killer madman. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, do you guys believe it's a monster I mean, or they not? kind of hint at it, the fact that the wounds were so malicious and animals are not malicious. They don't like just kill for like, I'm going to like torture you to death. Unless they got rabies or something. And then they're just they just want to share the disease. That's basically their drive and that's, that's because for biting. So that's their mostly ravaging, but they're not doing it for out of pleasure or mm-hmm. some sadistic thing. Which is why everyone thinks, oh well it has to be a human, because humans do that. They kind of bring it up a little bit, but then they kinda of drop it as soon as it's like, well if we saw it running mm-hmm. through the woods, so it has to be a giant animal. And then everyone's just convinced it's a werewolf after the bear got cleared, basically. Yeah. So that's one thing I think is interesting is the, the setup for the the controversy mm-hmm. is different, but they have this but it gets there by the same plot beat. Yes. Alright, after that we have the police suspicion, which we kind of touched on the police are kind of confused as to what's going what on. Like, okay, what happened? It's not a clear-cut case, which mm-hmm. both movies have mm-hmm. in abundance. In abundance. Sort of, actually. Because okay. the 2010 one is a lot more cut and dry because Lawrence gets caught after the first runaround. Yeah. When he turns into they, a werewolf. They, they have a, a murderer. Like, oh, look, here he is. He's covered in blood. He's found in the tree. He doesn't confess, but it's it's just as bad as a confession. You got caught here with a smoking gun, basically. Mm-hmm. Caught red-handed. Mm-hmm. The one, the 2010 one, I think that's one thing I, I kind of like bit better with the 40s one is it's not as cut and dry mm-hmm. as the 2010 one, but the 2010 one is not riding on the fact it's not cut and dry. Mm-hmm. It's riding on what happened 25 years ago. Yeah. Which is not cut and dry. Mm-hmm. So it's still running on a not cut and dry crime, which is what happened to Lady Talbert. All right. So the townspeople are also a little different. In the original, they are instantly against Larry, which one thing I thought was interesting. In the original, no one really hates the gypsies in yeah. the original. They're kind of like, yeah. It's a progressive of... film for you. <laughs> they're just there. They're like, oh yeah, gypsies come oh, yeah. through. Oh, one's dead. Dang it. I mean, they're upset that Bella's dead. They're like, you killed the gypsy man. I'm like... I mean, they're a little more mad that Jenny died. Yeah, they're more mad about her, but at the same time, it's like, no one's accusing the gypsies of anything. But it's not not even like they're mad about the gypsy's death. It's more the fact that you're a murderer. It's not... Yeah. It doesn't care who you killed. You killed somebody. Larry... Both times, Larry has to face kind of a mob. The first one is the knitting club ladies um, in the Lon Chaney one, which is like all the angry mothers upset about what happened to Jenny, and also Jenny's mom is the ringleader, basically. And in the 2010 one, it's the men of the town mm-hmm. who are like, you were bit by the beast, you know, come with us because the moon's going to be full soon. We gotta tie him down in the basement or something. Which I'm like, go with them, I guess. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it it sucks because these guys are not going to treat you very great. But no. if you're worried, I mean, I mean, at this point, I don't think Larry believes it. No. So yeah, he's very much like, "What do you mean you're going to drag me away from mm-hmm. here?" Like, doesn't no. really know what to believe at this point. Yeah. You know, but he has to confront the town as soon as the wolf thing happens, and he comes back with last well, scratch, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of like, "All right, something's wrong." With well, this. it should have a scratch, but doesn't. You, you, you should have. That's far more suspicious. It's like the first one. You should 
be still in bed, like, fighting for your life. The other one is, you recovered from that time in bed with almost nothing to show mm-hmm. for it, kind of thing. Like, you you still have your arm usage. Okay, the first transformation results in a death. At least a death. Well, the death first one... Death plural. That's yeah, right. and the first one is just one Someone death. has to die on the first transformation <laughs> die. So that, that's basically it. Lon Chaney just kills the gravedigger, and Lawrence kills the mob, I guess. Yeah? I mean, they ticked him off. <laughs> Yeah. People die. And then after the first transformation, he's basically cast out of society. I like the way they do it in the Lon Chaney one where he doesn't feel welcome in the church. Mm -hmm. There's something about being in the church with everybody that he's like, I can't, I'm not supposed to be here. I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And he leaves. And everyone's like watching him because it's weird when someone walks into church and turns around and walks back out. Mm-hmm. Also, everyone's like, turning on him. Everyone's like, staring at him like, why are Which part means is like, what do you expect him to do? You're all staring at yeah, him. Yeah, he's had to pick the front row to sit on. So he has to go yeah. past all these weirdos to go sit with his dad. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. That's yeah. weird. They have to sit in church everyone's staring at me? No. This like, <laughs> <laughs> if I was in the back of the church. They have to like, face forward. Yeah. Well, the other uh, Larry is he is officially caught and charged for killing them that, all. They just lock him up for being a madman. Yeah. He doesn't even get like a trial as far as we know. He just gets sent off to Looney Bin. Where it's like, oh, you crossed the line. Throw you in jail. He gets caught and everyone's like, okay, we, we caught the, we the problem. The problem. Yeah. yeah. We have the problem. And it's got one of the problems, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's still technically cast out of society in a more dramatic way. Very dramatic. Uh, in between the second and third transformation, Lawrence slash Larry goes to the antique store to talk to Gwen. Mm-hmm. Which we thought was an interesting, like, they kept that in yeah. both of them. The slight difference with this one is in the 41 film, Gwen is like, I'm going to go with you. But in the 2010 film, Gwen is like, you stay here. And I think a lot of that is because of what Larry tells her. Because in the 41 film, Larry tells her, I'm leaving this town for good. Mm-hmm. I'm too dangerous. And she's like, I'm going to go with you. While in the 2010 film, he's like, I got to go back to Blackmore and face my dad and screw the consequences mm-hmm. basically and she's like oh hey no no you're not going there <laughs> you know she's like you stay here with me <laughs> and he's like no but also it's like time frame too because like we pointed out the second and third transformation in the original is all one night yes while the other one you have a total month jump between for between transformations mm-hmm. and stuff it's like happens right after the second one so like also it's time frame mm-hmm. yeah lawrence has a lot more time to actually process information larry does not poor larry it's like everything just happens to him one after another he has the crappiest weekend on record both films end with larry slash lawrence getting killed by a loved one Mm -hmm. someone who cares about them and that they spent the entire movie building a relationship with in the 41 film it is sir john and in the 2010 film it is gwen conliffe Mm -hmm. and a lot of it like i mentioned it is the character they spent most time building a relationship with which i thought was interesting everyone makes this huge deal about like at least not everyone, but talking to my mom about it. Gwen is not really a romance in the first one. Not really. She's just kind of a weekend fleeing a crush. And so it wouldn't make sense and wouldn't feel satisfying for her to be the one to kill Larry. While in the film, he's been spending most of his time, if you actually look at the on-screen time, he spends most of his time with his dad. Mm-hmm. talking to him. He goes to him to talk to. He doesn't go to Gwen to talk to. I mean, he goes to check up on her. And kind of be like, I don't know what happened. And of course, she does the whole, like, well, maybe you were confused. And he's like, why am I confused? You know, they, they have their, they, they share their little moments. But for the most part, Larry spends most of his time building a relationship with Sir John. They did change it from 
method of kill, and I think a lot of it is because Gwen is killing him in the 2010 one. She's not beating him over the head with a cane. Yeah, because originally he was beat bludgeoned to death by his dad with the cane, which I actually really like that because the cane, the cane is actually a character in the first one. Mm-hmm. It's it's carried through the entire film. You see Larry with it a lot. Mm-hmm. He's carrying the, the thing everywhere. Yeah, basically. And that is the thing that killed the first monster, and that is the thing that kills the second monster. Mm-hmm. While in the 2010 one, it's just a gun that the policeman dropped. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, okay, it's a woman. <laughs> it's a lot easier for her to shoot him than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that. It was just I was kind of sad that they brought down the, the role of the the weapon of choice. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've kind of talked about what is similar, let's kind of talk about how do you introduce a protagonist? Because the one thing I find interesting about these two Larrys, or Larry slash Lawrence, is they're completely different characters mm-hmm. in the same movie. That's not the same movie, because it's a different movie. Because we're not having, we're not telling you the same story, we're just telling you the same plot beats, but different. Because remake. Because that's one thing I thought was interesting with the Disney remakes, and I think talking to Essie about this, I don't know, I could be completely wrong, but I pointed out that I haven't seen that many Disney remakes, but to me, a lot of stuff they add, it's more, we're just throwing extra stuff onto the character. But keeping the same endings. But keeping the same story. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same story. Okay, they keep the same, okay, this is the thing. Like, in both of them, they keep the same ending. He has to die by the by the hand of someone who loves him. Same ending, mm-hmm. technically. But as we also mentioned, it's the person that he builds a relationship with, which means you can change who that person is. As long as you build a relationship with that person, you can change out yeah. who kills him pretty easily. You could probably have Maleva kill him if you wrote it properly. Mm-hmm. You know, and have had him build a relationship with her. With a lot of remakes, they're like, we gotta add on a whole bunch of stuff, but we gotta keep the same story. In The Wolfman, we add on a whole bunch of stuff, but we just keep the same plot beats. Because mm-hmm. Larry and Lawrence are not the same character. Nope. They're two very different people who make very different choices and respond to the situation at hand very differently, but that's also because the situation at hand is different. Yeah, with a different history. Okay, so what is different with these two? Okay, so like I was saying, it's very unique with this because we do get to see two good examples of good characters in two separate films that are the same character. It's mm-hmm. not just like jumping franchises or series. Okay, let's go through why they're different. Okay, so Lawrence in 2010 is, he's a famous Shakespearean actor. He's put in asylum at a very young age after witnessing his mother's <laughs> self-harm in resulting in death. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Mommy's gone. Mom's gone. Okay, Prodigal Son imagery, um, imagery and Hamlet parallels. He's not thrilled about being there with his dad, mm-hmm. but he seems open to possibly fixing things. But he spends a little time with Gwen, mm-hmm. which is very different than the other one. His personality is completely different. Because he handles responsibility pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. in fact, he did have the discipline enough to become an actor and have a career. Oh, yeah, he, he's the title. He's the head actor. He like, is the guy. He's the guy on all the posters. Like, I think Essie... Yeah, he, he uh, there's a shot when Gwen's leaving the dressing room, and you're seeing down the hallway, and just posters for the production. Mm-hmm. And it says Lawrence Talbot Hamlet on everything. Like, his name's all over the hallway. Yeah, even the, the inspector mentions he's seen him... Yeah, perform. He, this boy's reputation, so he has a personality to have that. To have the career. discipline to do that. Yes. To be a kind of career, to get mm-hmm. up to be the top billing guy. He owns up to what he is very quickly. When, once he has proof. Yeah, once he has um, proof of it. Well, he admits, like, I'm a monster. Like, I... He does responsibility pretty well, 
even with um in little things like he goes up to Gwen after dinner at the house and says, "Hey, my my actions were unforgivable." Yeah, my actions were bad. Like I shouldn't have done that. He makes sure that she's safe in such different situations. Like things seem to be going. He wrong. tells her to leave when when he feels like something bad could happen, and yeah. I don't want you to be here just in case something bad does happen. Like take care of yourself. Make sure it's everyone else. He's very very big on make sure everyone else is okay. Yeah, when his dad leaves the house, he follows him. Yeah. He's like, Dad, get back here. Kind of like that. Sorry. It was a gypsy camp. He's making sure other people are okay. Like, he yeah. probably, I was thinking it's big. He's chasing a little idiot kid who goes running off to mm-hmm. leaving the camp, looking out for other people. Yeah, he's always looking out for others. But he said he admits he's a monster. Which is one of the reasons as he's like, he's probably an older kid. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> speaking speaking as Essie's the oldest and I am the youngest, I think you can tell from the way we talk to each other. But, <laughs> you know, I'm clearly the youngest. I don't freaking care. So, <laughs> You're like, oh, you can go die for all I give a day. Um, also, I care about also, these three people. He's responsible enough that he chooses to go take out his dad. Mm-hmm. He, he probably could just booked at this point. Like, he could have, yeah. He's on the run. His life's in ruins. He could just pick up and leave. Like, no obligation to go home. But he's like, no, I'm going to go home and fix this and like end this, even if I die in the process. So he's that kind of mentality of responsibility. Even as a kid, like, when they hear a noise, he's the one who goes and checks it out and tells his brother to go back to bed. Yeah. Exactly what siblings do. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay, so Larry. Larry is... A very different story. <laughs> yeah. He's a traveling handyman in America, which I think is really fun being the son of a lord. Mm-hmm. Is like, I want to go fix things in America. <laughs> I just think leave. He's very, he's down to earth. He's very salt of the earth yeah. kind of a guy. Very he's, every man. He's, he's kind of a, a leaf on the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of goes wherever his life takes him. Mm-hmm. At least he was that way. And he spent a lot of time in the Western state, but they mentioned California specifically. Mm-hmm. He's very good with, with tools and fixing things and putting things together and understanding like electronics and all these fun things. And so it's, they do introduce it in a good way with him playing with the telescope. You know, because like with Lawrence, you see him on stage because he's an actor. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to introduce an actor mm-hmm. is to put them in a theater. It's, you know, good idea. Introduce them with the thing you're telling them they're good at right when you meet them? Yeah. You know, and Lawrence, and Larry, Larry gets a telescope to play with, mm-hmm. and he's he's perfectly happy. He's in his element. He's like, this is something I understand. I'm better with tools. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, it's more from a stuffy household than a cursed household. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned there's kind of something kind of weird with the Talberts, but I think a lot of it is just they're the stuffy Brits on the hill. Kind of. They don't really seem that weird. I mean, his brother dies in a hunting accident. Pretty standard. They're not that weird. <laughs> so it's more my family's overbearing and he just wanted to be free. He just wants freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it kind of feels like. He never he never really wants to try and like be a lord or anything. He never acts like one. He's on. The, he's for the most part on pretty good terms with the townspeople. Also, you see him more with the townspeople because it starts out with him in town. He's not in London mm-hmm. when you meet him. He is coming home. This Larry doesn't handle responsibility. No. At all. He is really bad at it. He has no interest, like I mentioned, in being in his father's shoes. He doesn't feel like... He never tries to play the role of the Lord's son. Yeah. Ever. Like, he he doesn't really use his... Um, that's what I think is funny about Larry. He never uses his title to to gain anything. Mm-hmm. Eludes power over anybody else. Well, that sounds like takes responsibility. It's like, yeah, but he, you do it in all the wrong ways. Like, he covers up the footprints from mm-hmm. his window to the bed, and then he hides... And then he talks to Sir John about werewolves. Smart. You know. Everyone he tells I'm a werewolf is just someone who won't turn him in. Even in the sequels, he never takes full responsibility. His solution is run or die. Or <laughs> yeah. I'll tell somebody who won't turn me in. And then, yeah, he, he never ever takes responsibility, which I think is interesting because the fact 
that one is responsible and one is not responsible is shown in their introductions. And this is why one of the reasons we wanted to talk about character mm-hmm. intros. Because one, this is something we personally struggle with. I mean, I struggle with this. Oh, yeah. But they are very important. I think if you talk to any writer, they're going to tell you the, the beginning of your story is the, one of the most important parts of your story. Mm-hmm. Both of these openings give us a very clear indication of who Larry slash Lawrence is right now at the beginning of the story. This is something I've noticed. It's actually one of the few things I do actually get. Few things. That doesn't mean I write super interesting beginnings, but I do understand this. So what most writers call this, they call it the, you show the character in their everyday environment. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Yes, no. Actually, wrong and right. Yes, both right, right, wrong and right. So that always confused me. The whole, I always thought of it as you have to show a normal day mm-hmm. in your character's life. You know, I was always thinking something like Monsters, Inc. Yeah, that's like the, the most examples they get. Yeah, everyone always talks about Monsters, Inc. or Star Wars. What you're trying to show actually is who your character is right now. Mm-hmm. Great, so let's go with Star Wars Lauren. First thing you see him, he's doing the most iconic scene from Hamlet. The graveyard scene. The graveyard scene. Skull standing there. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. I can't say all of it. Excellent humor, I think. Something like like that. But you see him, he's in his element right after he has done jump cut right to the after party where everyone's getting drunk in his dressing room. He's just sitting there. He's sitting at his mirror with a glass of wine. I think someone hands him a glass of wine. And he's just, he doesn't care. He's not joining in the fun and the activities. The only thing that snaps him out of it is when Gwen comes in and mentions his brother. Yeah, he's like, oh, is Ben here? Yeah, he instantly perks up. Oh, is Ben here? He gets up. And he's like, well, no, I'm, he's been missing for over a month. And I was wondering if he'd seen him. Instantly, he's like, okay, look around. Tells the guy in front of him, get everybody out. Instantly, taking like, hey, I want my room back. I need to talk to this girl. Everyone yeah. get out of here. He, he orders take, someone to tell people to get out. He takes control of the situation where he's <laughs> like, I need to talk to this woman. You, person, clear out these people. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a thing. You know, this, his I, status and in fact, he's the leading man. This is my dressing room. Get out of my dressing room. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I own this dressing room. <laughs> he has a lot of, I'm the son of a lord heir to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't exactly say that, mm-hmm. but the way he holds himself, mm-hmm. he says, like, he says that in the way, in the fact that he can tell a guy clear the room, mm-hmm. you know, and also when he's talking to Gwen, it's very much like, you're wasting my time of day. Kind of. Yeah. Attitude. Mm-hmm. Very you much know. like that. Very dismissive. Like, well, a guy can just run off and do whatever he wants. Like, I know his letters makes him sound like he's a responsible young man, but who am I to say? Yeah, what do I know? What do I know? He's very flippant about it. That flippantness goes away immediately when his dad gets brought up. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, well, if, if this is about you don't want to come home because you're dad, I get it. It's like, oh, you did it, really? Okay. Oh, you, you get it? It's like, goes to the door, opens it, she can leave. That's basically, like, yeah, he totally shuts down. It's very much like, good night, get out of my room, basically. And only really kind of, like, takes it back, like, I was a douche, when she goes, like, well, it must be nice having fake demons. And everything yeah. leaves. And everything, then you kind of see him, like... He's thinking about it. Like, you can tell she got to him. Yeah, he's like, crap. <laughs> yeah, I was a douche. Yeah, I was a douchebag. And so he decides to go home and, you know, find out what's going on. He's yeah. like, okay, I'm going to go home. Um, Larry, on the other hand, he does not have any of the air of being the son of a lord. No. At all. Like we mentioned, he never uses it. He, he acts like a guy who's ready to, to take on a guy in the back alley whenever he has to, whenever he meets with uh, confrontation. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you can tell he, he's been the rough sides of California, Those probably. Like every, yeah, he's very defensive. He's always like, why is everyone assuming it's my fault? Or like, even when Maleva's like, uh, you killed 
uh, my son. Like, what do you think I can't tell the difference between a wolf and a man? Like, with- yeah, he's ex- extremely defensive. Uh, he's very he- he's very jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when he's involved. Yeah, right. So, but when you first see him, he's very chill. Yeah, he's very he's very cheerful. Like he starts out. The Larry who starts out the movie is a very chill, laid back. Like I mentioned, he's a leaf on the wind. He's the salt of the earth. He's he likes a simple life. You can mm-hmm. you can kind of see that his suits are very simple. His you know, his hairstyle is very, it's just a slick back hairstyle. Very, there's, everything about him is very simplistic. The most complex part of his wardrobe is the cane, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the reasons that stands out so much because you have him, uh, he dressed up a little bit better later in the movie, but when you first meet him, he's just wearing a light suit and he looks good, but he's clearly not dressed up as much as his dad. Mm-hmm. Like, he meets, uh, apparently he and uh, Munford were friends, mm-hmm. um, and so he's like, hey, Paul's a cop now? Kind of yeah. a thing. He's very chill in how he talks. His dad's like, no, that's Colonel Munford to you. Kind of a thing. Like, you dress yeah. him by his title. And he's like, nah. That's Paul. That's <laughs> Paul. He's just Paul. He's we very do chill. dumb stuff together. Like, that's Paul. Very laid back on that. He has zero relationship with his brother, which is interesting because he has a shorter time frame of not seeing his brother than Lawrence, because Lawrence has 25 years of not seeing his brother. Larry has only 18 years of not seeing his brother, and he was not a little child at the time. He was probably about a teenager mm-hmm. when he left, but he mentions his brother once and never again. And it's very much like when he sees the portrait, it's very mm-hmm. much like, oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah, you're dead. It's kind of like, oh, the reason I'm here, dang it. <laughs> I, I could be living it up in, in uh, California fixing things. It's kind of like... Um, when you, you had to go and die. What, what, <laughs> it's more like when you, you have a person and you find out they had this prized Persian cat and you absolutely hated, but then you go to visit them and you realize they're dead, like, well, I'm, I'm sorry about your cat. That's how he kind of acts about it. He's like, Dad, I'm sorry about John. And so he's yeah, like, sorry about... Sorry to hear that. Sorry, sorry to hear about your loss. <laughs> It's very kind of distant. It's not like, oh yeah, my brother's dead. It's kind of like, sorry, Dad, you lost a kid. That's basically yeah. He and Sir John never bring him up. Rolls. That's basically all they talk about is like kind of yeah. They're like, you're here to inherit. Yep, I'm here to inherit. Okay, you got that down. (laughs) Yeah, and then um, when right after that, Sir John's like, okay, sit down. Very much like your little kid. Get like shut up and talk. We're going to talk. We're going to your grandma's house, (laughs) and she expects you to behave yourself, and she's going to serve you the fine china. Now, let me explain to you how you're supposed to act. You little meatball of a person. And you sit, and the kids sit in there, trying really hard not to fidget because they know if they do, they're gonna get this all over again. Also, anyone notice Larry's sitting on the arm of the chair? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't sit in the chair. He sits on the arm of the chair. Yeah, he's not doing this proper at all. That is something, that's something I've noticed writers don't, but they don't put in little tiny, like, things with their characters where it's like, you know, he's a laid back guy. He doesn't follow the social norms. What's a good way to show that? He sits on the arm of the chair. His dad's like, sit, like, sit down, Larry. He sits down, I'm like, Dude, there's a chair. The the chair's not taken. The cat's not sitting on it. You're you're not trying to avoid the sleeping cat, so come on. Yeah, like, there's nothing, like, your dad's hat's not there. It's like, you're not trying to avoid anything. You're just, you're just sitting down on the arm of the chair, which I'm like, that, that is a very nice little piece of character mm-hmm. work right there. Also, another thing is Larry avoids the conversation at all costs. Oh, yeah. He's... He keeps he keeps kind of like, or doesn't so much avoid it, but he, he tries to spin it in a more positive way away from him. Where it's like, like, well, like his dad's like, oh, well, it's common for the younger son to run off. He's like, well, I'm back now. Kind of a thing he's in, or, um, where it's like, oh, yeah, dad, I was really proud about your accomplishments. Yeah, he's like telling his dad, like, you did cool stuff. Let me talk about you for a second. Not me. I'm, he no. deflects. Deflection. Larry is very deflective 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it's also part of his very defensive nature where he, he keeps, he doesn't like things coming at him. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't like accusations coming at him. He doesn't like being told you are inheriting this estate is not an accusation. You know, most people would be like kind of thrilled. I'm inheriting a state and mm-hmm. an estate and all the moolah that comes with that or, and all the debt too. But like, <laughs> let's focus on the positives here. And I'm sitting there like, he doesn't want to, he's upset about this. Like, he's not upset, but he's like awkward. He's like, oh, that, that's something I've never wanted to think about in my life. Kind of yeah. I'd rather be visiting for a Sunday dinner. I'm stuck here. Yep. You know, I, I'm inheriting this. And I thought that was interesting. Also, unlike Lawrence, Larry didn't keep in touch no. with his family at all. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting when I was making um, points to record this. But yeah, Lawrence is like writing Ben. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. he admit, like Ben's mentioned you in his letters. 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 S. Multiple. Plural. For a very long time. I don't know how long, but they've been writing. They've been in communication. He's like, he, he didn't sound like an irresponsible person when he wrote me, but it's a letter. I knew about you. He mentioned you in one of his letters. Yeah, something like that. Like, he, he, sound, he could be different than he sounds in his mm-hmm. letters. Worry mm-hmm. mentions, oh yeah, I read, I saw you in the papers. Like, I, it's only through the news that I've been able to get yeah, to read he's about kept, you. He's kept no contact. No. With these people. And it really shows he's not upset about John's death. He clearly doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. He, he really feels, it feels like a trapped, feels like a caged animal. Because he's just pretty bit. chill about it when he first gets there. And then as soon as he sees the portrait, it's kind of like, it just hits him. It's, it's the like, reason you're here. Because when he first shows up, it looks like he's visiting. Yeah. You know, when, when you finally go home for the holidays, mm-hmm. you're like, yay, I'm finally home and I get to see everybody. Oh, crap, I'm staying here. <laughs> it's like when you move back in with your parents after college and it hits you the next day where it's like, I'm stuck here. Yay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing that really shows his character. He doesn't like the stuffy life. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact he's not thrilled he's inheriting this whole estate. The fact he hasn't kept in touch. With these, and his dad even mentions, yeah, we're kind of stuffy and <laughs> withdrawn from each other. His, his, his dad mentions it. Mm-hmm. And Larry's sitting going, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't correct him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I mean, I'm like, you, you kind of get an idea without bringing up the past. You kind of get an idea that Larry had a, not a, a terrible childhood, but a stuffy one. A very, like, this and is how probably you, he and, how you John, do and Sir John did not leave on great terms. Probably, probably on better terms than what Lawrence oh, left. Oh, probably way better. But they probably had a few fights and maybe a couple words. Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that when they're talking about this and he's so big on deflecting and he kind of goes into like, yeah, I know all about that. His dad goes, well, let me start over. Okay. <laughs> his dad says start over. Yeah. Which kind of implies they were not on good terms. Also, we don't know what happened to the mom. So, so for all we know... She probably died when Larry was fairly young. Probably. You know, so he probably doesn't have a lot of memory about her. So he's not going to think about her, especially if he doesn't have a lot of memory. But then it's also it's also not in his character to talk about people in the past. No. You know, he, he doesn't live in the past ever. And I think that's interesting because, like, he's clearly affected by the past, but he doesn't... But the moment Sir John's like, let's start over, he's all for it. Like, yeah. (laughs) You want to start over? I'm cool with that. I'm I'm A-okay with starting over and trying to make things better and mending it. He he holds no grudge Mm -mm. to Sir John. He's like, okay, we didn't leave on great terms. I have no... He's happy to see him. He says father when he first sees him. That's the first thing he calls him. Calls him sir the rest of the time. But you can tell it's like, okay, we didn't leave on the best of terms, but... If you're willing to make an effort, I'm willing to make an effort. That's one thing I do like about this. Yeah. This Larry is he's well, he doesn't handle responsibility. He does he doesn't hold a grudge. Okay, so to kind of bring everything back, uh talk about openings, I kinda wanna talk about a bad opening and I want to explain this bad opening 
by comparing it to a good opening. That's not the Wolfman. <laughs> I think we've drooled over that one enough. <laughs> yes, give it a break. I'll make some more videos. We can drool over it some more. How's that? <laughs> okay. As you would like that. I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd like that. Okay. So the bad example we're going to use is... Disney Star Wars is Rogue One. Now, this one was the least offensive of the Disney Star Wars movies. It was also one of the most pointless of the Disney Star Wars movies. And I'm sure we're going to hear a bunch of arguments otherwise, but... Mm. My channel, my opinion. Okay, so Rogue One, I personally hate this movie. It's it's dull, it's boring, but the opening is probably the greatest atrocity to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's just... It's dull. Like, there's just nothing to it. Like, it's boring. And the reason I think it's boring is because... I'm not going to talk about when she's a little kid. No, skip that bit. Because I hate those little prologues that people do. I hate them in books and I hate them in movies. Unless you can give me a really good reason as to why you're doing it. Because you have to meet the protagonist all over again. Because yeah. they're no longer a little kid. And you could have just done this in a flashback if you needed it at all. You know, just start with the protagonist, where they are, who they are right here and now. So we're going to start with her in jail. <laughs> uh, she is on a transport going to some work camp place. I don't remember the planet's name. So she's on this transport. There's no talking that I recall. Yeah, no, she's just kind of eyeing everyone around her. Everyone's making goo goo eyes at each other. Like, <laughs> it's definitely looking her up and down. I'm just kind of like, well, well it's probably kind of like, why is this chick with perfect skin? She's like, got no scars. She's got, yeah, she's really plain and generic looking. Like, there's nothing to her, her outfit. Because, like, when we talk about Lawrence, both Lawrence and Larry, like, I mean, Larry, he's like, he looks very casual. His family looks very stuck up. His suit coat's open. He tosses his hat on the front table. He has his hands in his pockets. He sits on the arm of the chair. Like, he has a whole bunch of visual storytelling mm-hmm. uh, that kind of hammers home when you find out he's a handyman mm-hmm. in America. It's like, okay, I, I can kind of see that. And then Lawrence, he's a famous actor. He kind of has this air of, like, dominance, which probably could come from being the son of a wealthy man or just because he's risen up the ranks mm-hmm. of being an actor. He's an alcoholic in a way. <laughs> You know, he doesn't, like, he has his life together, but he still has his demons he's trying to chase down. And his clothes are kind of, like, baggy on him. He looks a little kind of more in shambles than Larry does. Jin has a pretty bland wardrobe, but it gets kind of works because she's supposed it's to be It's like a... they were like, hey, can you give me discount Han Solo? Yeah, she looks very discount Han Solo. She, uh, her clothes, her clothes don't stand out like Han's. And he just has, like, a shirt and a vest and <laughs> pants and a belt. Yeah, that's it. And she has more to her outfit, I think. I don't, I don't know. I can't visualize it. Like, you tell me Han. I can instantly visualize the, the Han Solo outfit. Mm-hmm. I can't visualize the Jin outfit. And then the transport stops and they get attacked by the rebels and she fights the rebels. Mm-hmm. She beats up several guys. I think it's like three guys. But I'm like, a girl that small? I mean, she's got a shovel. Yeah, not well, not at first. <laughs> the guy undoes her. Like, also, it's like, the guy just undid your handcuffs. Okay. Cool. So she hits him, she, she kicks him across the thing and she, and she grabs a shovel and beats up a bunch of other guys. And then she gets grabbed by K2SO who slams her on the ground and says, you know, congratulations, you are being rescued. Stop resisting, you idiot. Yeah, Resist- pretty much. <laughs> and then she's with the rebellion. She has like, like a mini trial or something. It's not even a trial. It's just like, okay, yeah, we know who you are. And they, they list off a whole bunch of her achievements and she's just kind of sitting there listening to them list off her achievements. The same face. The same face. I don't think she changes. She's like, they, they tell her that the whole reason they want her is they're trying to... It's basically, we lost our contact. We found out there's a guy with information, but mm-hmm. he's being held by your ex-babysitter. Could you please go get him? Yeah, you have his phone number. Can you please call him? <laughs> 
pretty much. That, that's, that, that's, 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 that's the scene. That's the scene. You have his phone number. Could you please call? And I'm sitting there going like, what was the point of the opening scene where they're rescuing her? Because literally she could have just been working like at a coffee shop. They come in, kidnap her and say, hi, you're the daughter of whatever his face is mm-hmm. or so. Can you please call this guy called Sagara? Uh, and and, and the, the biggest annoying thing is that she's sitting there and we've, we've only seen her maybe like effectively, mm-hmm. however you want to say it, effectively take out three guys. And that's all we've really seen her the do. Shovel. She hasn't even said a word yet before the scene. Mm-hmm. And and they're going on like, oh, you you're under a false name. You've done weapons um, mm-hmm. trafficking, and you like forfeit. And it's talents we don't see her do in the forgery. Movie. Like I mean, okay, apparently I guess impersonation or whatever. I came back. In fact, she put on a bad guy's outfit in the finale or something. I don't know. I don't count that. No. We mostly just need you for an address book. It's more like those scenes where it's like, well, we have a rap sheet on you. Will you please go do this for us? And, and well, they said they know where he is. Yeah. They know where he is. They just want her to get, get them through the door. Through. Yeah. Your, your introduction. You're, you're the meat shield. <laughs> Basically. What we want to contrast this with is the opening of the first, or the pilot episode to a TV show called Garrison's Gorillas, which I've seen far too many times. Uh, it's free on YouTube, so... It's you from, like, no the 60s, excuse. isn't it? It's from the 60s, like, 66, 67, or something like that. But, yeah, so the first episode... Um, so, basically, what it is is you have four criminals mm-hmm. who have been... Well, five, I guess, if you count Cannon Father. Red shirt. Yeah, the red shirt. <laughs> yeah, five if you count the red shirt. Uh, you have five convicts who have been subscripted to go behind enemy lines because they have talents in different things. And the way you introduce them is they're parachuting down to meet up with another ally group and Garrison is taking off their handcuffs so they can parachute down. You like your job, eh, one? Well, I got a big bulletin for you. I'm not going to be the first one out of this plane, yeah. First one out's the first one down, waiter. That's right. How'd you get him off? I borrowed your keys when you bought us the coffee, warden. It's nice of you to give them back. Don't mention it. There you go. Spring steel. Comes in handy. Don't forget me, stewardess. (laughs) In this quick little exchange, we get a ton of information. It's also funny. Yeah. It's hilarious. I mean, I always laugh whenever I watch this part. Basically, find out exposition guy, probably going to die. Not really noteworthy. Chief pulls a a knife on him. Probably kill the guy. Most likely kills someone. And also, he's going to, you know, he's going to be the muscle of the group. Then you have Gunnuff. Gunnuff is the thief. Duh, he swiped the keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also going to be the comic relief for this show. Uh, you have Casino. Casino is very, how would you describe him? He's like self-reliant, gangster. He usually has a tool for the job. Break-in, entry. Yeah, he's the safe cracker. Mm-hmm. You know, so him having a tool on him is not surprising. They got Actor. Actor is a con artist or a grifter, depending on what you would like to call them. Him being doing the whole stewardess Thing, it's like it kind of shows like yeah i know why i'm here you know why i'm here i'm not taking you seriously and then you got garrison who is the warden now what i like about garrison 
is that the scene also does a lot with him. He doesn't say very much. How'd you do that? It's very to the point. It's very to the point. But he doesn't threaten anyone. There's a part where... It's on Red Shirt. Yes, Red Shirt. Red Shirt. He, he tells the guys, I don't want to go down there. I'd rather, you know. Yeah, he freaks out because he sees, I'm jumping out of a plane. So he freaks yeah, out. Yeah, I don't freak out. Into, into enemy territory. So he starts chickening out. He chickens out. He chickens out. And Zagaris is like, well, too bad. So he like punches him in the face and then throws him out the plane. <laughs> and then when they get on, on the ground, Redshirt goes over and punches, I think his name was Wheeler or something. Yeah, it's Wheeler. Wheeler. He goes over and punches Garrison. I mean, I mean punches him. Like, Garrison goes down. Mm-hmm. But Garrison gets right back up. And I think the guy, one, he slugged him one because Garrison hit him. And two, I think he's also like, he wants to go back to jail and slug a, yeah, he doesn't front of another uh, military He doesn't in front guy. of another officer. He doesn't do it in private. He does it in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, we'll take him back to the base. And Garrett's like, no, I'll deal with him in my own way. Mm-hmm. And he tells the guy, Wheeler, go back to your shoot. He doesn't threaten him. No. His voice stays pretty much even. It's very, like, I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Like, very authoritative. Yeah. But it's very even. And he's kind of like, let's the guy know. You don't do that. You don't step out of place. Mm-hmm. You don't step out of line. It's like, you already learned a lot about Garrison. Like, he's in charge. He knows he's in charge. Good luck keeping him down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's about three minutes of um, opening if you're just counting the Garrison with the with the guys. Mm-hmm. It's about three minutes. Three minutes. I'm going to focus on these guys, yeah. mainly. And that is, you see why they're in jail. You have the murderer, the thief, the safecracker, and the con artist. You also see what job they're going to do in while they're out here. Jin... They're talking about, you've done all of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think the Empire would do if they knew that they had the, you know, incredible Jin Urso? I'm like, she hasn't done anything cool. So far, the only reason people would probably give a dang, if you took out her resume, the only reason they'd care is she's the daughter of the one guy and she knows the other guy. That's actually all they care about. That's all yeah. she does in the, the show. And then the only reason she and the others die is because she was too dumb to pick up the message her dad sent her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's your fault. It's your the reason you all died. Yeah. You're too busy crying to grab the message. Cassie kind of ran in and dragged her out, but she didn't even fight him and been like, wait, hold on, you gotta grab this. That'd take, like, what, two seconds? Eh. You know? And so then they gotta, like, you know, kill everybody. Well, I I know they had to die because prequel. If you look at these two openings, Jin, everything is told to her about her, and then it's like, this is what we need you guys for. That's about four minutes, four to five minutes, if you count her her being transported to the uh, labor camp to her getting recruited by the rebels. And it's just them. They're just sitting there. I mean, you have a little bit of action with her beating up the rebels, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then it's just them sitting and talking. Yeah. Well, in Garrison's, you're right that you don't see the recruiting. Oh, no. Of these guys. Oh, that includes just like going to their jail cells. Guess what? We're going to throw you in the thing. And if you survive this battle, we might let you spread the war. You go free. None of that's spelled out. Like, get that they're on parole because Exposition Man Mm -hmm. says, no, forget your parole. I'd rather rot in Alcatraz. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, okay, you're on parole. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're still technically in yeah, jail. Yeah, so don't screw this up. <laughs> yeah. And you're right into the action. The action's already started. And they don't sit there and explain this is the point of the episode. Because you're already in the action. You're expecting them to fill you in soon enough. So they're like, okay, they're going to fill us in. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Safe bet, which they always do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't even had their names yet. And yet we already know quite a bit about them. Mm-hmm. You want your interest to show what your character can do. At least gives an idea of what they, you don't have to spell it out for us, mm-hmm. but kind of gives an idea of like their traits, where they came from. So like both Larry's show kind of where they came from. One has a very dark and disturbed past. The other one, probably a pretty average rich boy past, but he's also been living as a, a handyman in America. Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of that simple life feel to him. Garrison, the gorillas, where each one of them comes from a different section of criminal 
Hood. Mm-hmm. You know, got the murderer, the con artist, the thief, the safecracker. And then you got Garrison, who is the true blue Boy Scout American, I guess. Basically. <laughs> uh, and then you got Jin, who has her entire backstory basically spelled out for her in the first part. You know, so like with, with Jin, we got really nothing about who she is as a person. We got a list of skills she never uses. Hard to know, yeah. As far as I remember in the, the movie, you just need her to get you through the door at Saw's place. Well, the gorillas, you, we have to know right at the beginning what they're good at. Mm-hmm. And so they show you right off what they're good at. So when they actually get into the, the fray of things, it's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. You're like, okay, I see that. Makes sense. But the Larrys, you get more, it's more of like you get a sense of the types of decisions they're going to make. Because mm-hmm. the story's more about them in these movies. The other two, the movie's not really about them as people and their journeys. Yeah. Because in, in Garrison's, it's more about we're fighting the war. Mm-hmm. And then with Rogue One, it's, hi, we're a pointless prequel that you don't need to watch. Yeah. And we're going to treat it like a pointless prequel you don't need to watch by just sitting here and talking to you. Like, we're not even going to make these characters interesting because they're going to die anyway, so there's really no point. Yeah. I could pretty much, like, sum it up. Maybe it's, like, take your setting and what the story will be about into consideration. For the opening. For the openings. Take your setting into consideration consideration. Uh, remember who your character is right now and how the world impacts them, really. You know, how are they interacting with the world mm-hmm. and their reactions to it. I'm thinking about doing a whole video just on talking about character reactions alone because I've noticed this is something that writers don't like to, what's the word, talk about or address. Address. Yeah, so I'm thinking about doing a whole video on just character reactions alone. Remember, let's take into consideration, remember this, I've noticed this. Readers aren't there to find out how wonderful your character is. They're there to see how broken your character is. And so your opening needs to kind of show that human error side to them. Mm -hmm. So I hope that was helpful. Have a great rest of your day. And we will talk to you, talk your ear off, in the next episode. Bye! Bye! Lawrence is shown off, shown to this. Eh, I can't talk. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna be entertaining when you edit this. Okay. <laughs> Fully accepting the monster says he. Eh. <laughs> that is really awkward. Okay. Stir and says he. Eh. Through the window, and to the and both. Eh. Okay. So John Ma. Eh, I can't look from out here. Okay. All right. Gwen appears. <laughs> Aberline also arrives, ready to shoot. But Gwen knocks the gun out off. <laughs> I still can't do this. Okay. Aberline also arrives, gun drawn. But Glenn, <laughs> Glenn. Oh, <laughs> we are so brain dead. All right. <laughs>